Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... You know how to cut to the core of me, Baxter. You're so wise. You're like a miniature Buddha, covered in hair. Michael Preston. It is finally game week. We're not talking about practice anymore. Allen Iverson's gone. And I have to talk about it because you really do get into those dog days of practice, right? Don't you? you just get into, man, like, hey, look, they threw the ball again and ran the ball again. And it was so exciting because it happened again. There's a reason why they call it that. Big old show lined up for you. We're going to replay our interview with head volleyball coach Jen Greeny after their weekend sweep of Virginia Commonwealth and North Carolina State. They looked very good, only dropped one set. Also joined by Robert Gagliardi. He covers the Wyoming Cowboys for wildsports.net. Your source for everything you need to know about Wyoming ahead of this opener for Washington State. And we are in week one of college football, although Wyoming has played a game already. We will get to that in a second. And we are here. And after what was a tough offseason... Uh, in many ways. The loss of Tyler Holinsky in January. Before that, the dalliances of Mike Leach with Tennessee. The departure of virtually every assistant coach on this staff. And I think it's just kind of nice to be here. It's nice to be here and looking at a Saturday with Cougar football in it again. I think that... I've, I've, I've felt very weird leading up to this season. I think I noted that in the first one where you, you know the expectations are a little lower this year. Even if Tyler had been with us as we all want him to be, the expectations still would have been a little lower just because of everything Washington State was losing on the field and everything they lost coaching-wise. So I, I, I have had, and I admit, I've had a hard time getting myself excited, getting worked up for the season it was much easier last year when you were you were anticipating a very good football team that, you know, 10 wins was not outside the realm of possibility. And it was a possibility for them, even going into the bowl game, um, that they did not play well in. And this year, it's just not the same. This year, we're just not expecting double-digit wins from this football team. I have said I would be pretty surprised if it's more than four wins. Jeff and I, again, in our on our preview found a way you can get to six. It's going to be hard to get bowl eligible this year, and especially because the conference isn't interested in five-win teams playing in bowl games. But this is going to be a difficult season in, in many ways. And you now have a new quarterback, which was not something you were expecting to have to do. And Gardner Minshew steps in, and will likely be the starter. We don't know who it is yet, although we have a pretty darn good idea that it's going to be Minshew. I really would be genuinely shocked if it's Trey Tinsley or Anthony Gordon at this point. Who's got good weapons at wide receiver. Who's got good running backs. An offensive line that's going to have to learn with him, which is a little scary. A defensive line that looks to be the weakness and linchpin in terms of that on this team. Linebackers who look good and a secondary who looks pretty good. But getting all that to come together with 
brand new assistant coaches at every position except for defensive line and linebackers is going to be difficult. And I guess your head coach is the same. Eric Mealy moved to coach the running backs. So, yeah, this is going to be a tall task for Washington State this season. But I'm, I'm looking at this kind of like the 2013 season. That team had talent. And what happened that season was, I thought before you were probably looking at, again, about three or four wins. Certainly better than the year before and more competitive in the losses. But that's about what I was expecting. And then they came out and they played way over their skis and won six games. That is not outside the realm of possibility for this team. The wide receivers on this team are more talented than that team. They have better running backs. We don't know about the quarterback situation. Connor Halliday, probably at this point, a better quarterback in the air raid than Gardner Minshew, although apparently he's been picking it up at a pace unlike anything the coaches have ever seen. But again, that could just be coach speak in camp. The defense, probably not quite as close to where you would want it as that team. They did have Dayon Buchanan. But I think trying to look at the season that way is helpful because I, I do think it's a, it's a four-win team. But if things break correctly for them, as it did for that 2014 team, you can sneak your way into a bowl game. Hopefully the Cheez-It Arizona Bowl or whatever the heck it is, the one they play in Phoenix now. I don't care. It's sponsored by Cheez-It. I will buy all Cheez-It related merchandise if Washington State plays in that bowl game. So my expectations are certainly tempered. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't want to say that you shouldn't be excited for Cougar football to be back. I am excited for Cougar football to be back because it is something that I value very near and dear to my heart. And I hope you do too. I value time I get to spend with friends, my wife, people who I care about in a town I care about deeply with a school I care about very deeply and a school that I love and made me into the person that I am today and that I will be forever thankful for. And those Saturdays are back. I look forward to them every year because of what it all means to me. I try to not put, you know, too many of my eggs in the basket of being worked up about Washington State football, but every year I do it. And I can guarantee you, I'm telling you my expectations are tempered. I'm telling you that I'm not as amped up as I have been in the past. But I guarantee you on Saturday, the first thing that gets screwed up in the game for Washington State, and even when they're winning, they, they screw things up, I will be mad. I will get angry. I will get unreasonably angry at times. As we all do. Because I forget that this team doesn't have the expectation of last season. Doesn't have the expectation of the year before. Doesn't even have the expectation of 2015. None of those expectations are here for this football team. Because of everything they've gone through. Not the least of which was losing a very close friend to many of them. And they don't get to open with an easy one either. You get to see a team in Wyoming that has been 
improving greatly under Greg Bull. Two straight bowl appearances, two straight eight-win seasons for Wyoming. They won the famous Idaho Potato Bowl last year. They lost in the Poinsettia Bowl the year before. And they have already played a game this year. They have already played New Mexico State. They played them in week zero. They played them last week in Las Cruces. And here's what I will say about that game. They looked very good. They looked very intimidating. How could you not when you pick up 312 yards on the ground? Including 190 yards from Nico Evans on just 24 carries. He was averaging just under 8 yards a touch. That's insane. That is absolutely nuts. But you need to also remember that New Mexico State might be one of the five worst teams in the FBS. They are truly a very, very bad football team. And that is a year-in, year-out thing for them. They have just never been able to kind of pick it up and get better. They did go to a bowl game for the first time in, it was like half a century last year or something. I can't remember. But by and large, you know, Two to three win seasons is about the expectation for them. But they are not a very good football team this year. And in fact, I will look up what Bill Connolly has them ranked on his S&P. But it is, you know, it. you're talking about one of the worst, <laughs> one of the worst teams in college football. So how... How much can you really evaluate them based on that game? I don't know. I really don't know how much you can. 98th best team in college football, according to Bill Connolly's rankings. Wyoming, better, up in the 70s. But, you know, again, according to his rankings, not much better. Washington State's up at 44. But I think this is a Wyoming team that is better than that would indicate. They do lose Josh Allen. From last season, Tyler Vanderwall started for them in Las Cruces. He averaged 6.2 yards per throw. Not great, but they didn't have to do... I think it was kind of that situation like with Washington State last year against Montana State. They didn't need to throw the ball. Montana State and Jeff Choate sold out to stop the pass. Basically dropped eight on every play. And Washington State was very content to just run it straight down their throat the whole game. And win the game on the ground that way. Because if you can do that, you know, it's all about taking what you're given. And they certainly took what they were given. Washington State is facing a tough team in their opener. If I had my druthers, it would have been San Jose. It would have been San Jose State in this first game. Because San Jose State is truly probably a very awful football team. They are worse than Wyoming and Again, near the bottom of the FBS in terms of quality this year. And especially given Wyoming has already played a game and has has had a chance to work the kinks out. And Washington State's going to have to break in a new quarterback. They're going to be breaking in new guys on the defensive line, which is not what you want against a team that had 312 yards of rushing last week. So they have a very tough task ahead of them. Tall, literally, in elevation. Over 7,000 feet in Laramie, Wyoming. If you are going 
I suggest you go more than a day before to get used to that because as someone who spent a decent amount of his life skiing, uh, any place that is 7,200 feet, you're going to have a hard time breathing and you are going to get dizzy. So, I don't know. Fly a plane and open a window first. <laughs> I don't know if that's the science behind it. But this is not an easy opener for Washington State. And honestly, I would not be surprised by either result. I would not be surprised by a win. I would not be surprised by a loss. This is a team still trying to find its way. They are still trying to work things out with their coaches, with new personnel, with everything. And this is not an ideal opener, the back end of that home-and-home agreement you signed with Wyoming that had them come to Pullman in 2015. This was not. This would not have been my choice for the first game, but Craig Bull has done an excellent job turning that program around. But it is who you get. And maybe, as we've said, Gardner Minshew comes in and just has fun in this offense. He's got great weapons in Tay Martin, Roderick Fisher, Jameer Calvin, Renard Bell, Kyle Sweet, Robert Lewis is back, Aesop Winston, Tons of guys. Drew Jackson. Desmond Patman, who I would love to finally break out. Max Borgie, James Williams. The defense may struggle a little bit at first, but this is an offense that has a chance to, if Gardner Minshew can can pick it up as quickly, or has picked it up as quickly as it's been said he has, and the offensive line finds a way to coalesce, this could be a fun offense this year. I guess we're going to find out on Saturday. And to talk more about Saturday, Robert Gagliardi from Wyosports.net here to talk about the Cowboys next on the Coop Center Hour. Here on the Coop Center Hour podcast, we are in week one, but playing a team that played in week zero. And here to talk about the Wyoming Cowboys, Robert Gagliardi from wyosports.net. You can follow him at on Twitter, at rpgagliardi. Uh, Robert, I want to start out, uh, kind of overview, we'll get into that New Mexico State game uh, here in a little bit, but uh, Wyoming was picked to finish second in the Mountain Division behind Boise State which got all the first place votes in the preseason media poll. Does that seem about right to you for this edition of the Wyoming Cowboys football team? Well, yeah, I think so. And I'm certainly not trying to be a homer about this, but when you, even though they lost a, you know, the seventh overall pick in the, in the NFL draft mm-hmm. to quarterback, Josh Allen, and, uh, you know, struggle, you know, and with a lot of questions really coming into the season offensively, right. You know, maybe that seems a little high, but man, the, the defense that, that, that performed last year with 38 turnovers forced, 17 and a half points a game. That's about cutting, cutting that in half from 2016. I think right. there was some, you know, uh, you know, some things to go off there. And I think, you know, Craig Bowles establishing that this program is a, 
as a consistent winner. Not quite there yet, but back-to-back eight-win seasons, back-to-back bowl game appearances. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could make arguments certainly for a, a couple of other teams to be picked you know, pick second, but I could see where, where Wyoming was, was, was picked second. And, you know, based on what we saw last week, again, just one game against a somewhat of a lesser than opponent that the defense certainly flexed its muscles there. You talked about him uh, already. And I want to touch on Josh Allen a little bit, because obviously a top 10 pick in the draft playing for the Buffalo bills now. And he, he really was, you know, kind of the highlight for in, ter- in terms of the national media. And I think in terms of what Cougar fans might know, uh, of Wyoming football he was the highlight last year what what is this team going to miss the most and you know kind of dreading replacing the most with his departure so to speak well you certainly can look at, at, at the numbers you know the you know although as you know Josh Allen's numbers weren't great last year but they weren't bad mm-hmm. um you know you throw away you know take away the production I think what they're really going to miss is just that leader and and, and just his competitiveness I've, I've, of you know covering college football for almost 25 years I'm not sure if I've been around as a competitive guy, a kid, as Josh Allen, you know, mm-hmm. and not to say that this next quarterback won't be as good or isn't competitive or there aren't other guys that are, but that was really rare. Aside from some of the raw talent that the kid showed, just that competitiveness and leadership ability were mm-hmm. some of the things that I think this this team's going to miss the most aside from those physical attributes. Right. You mentioned Craig Bull. Uh, he was at North Dakota State for better part of it. Actually, over a decade, he was in Fargo, won a few national championships, and then came to Wyoming to try to right the ship a little bit. And he struggled his first two years, as you might expect when you're coming to a school, trying to get things back to normal. But as you mentioned, two straight eight-win seasons, including a win in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl last year. What's been the biggest thing Craig Bull has done? Like, What's kind of been the biggest key to his building success in Laramie for the Cowboys so far? Well, I think well, probably maybe the biggest thing as far as on the field success is that, that Craig Bull came in with a with a very clear vision and a very clear plan of how he wanted to do things. And, and despite a couple of rough years to start, he, he stuck with that plan. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't, he didn't go away from it. He didn't try to go for a quick fix or he didn't try to, you know, uh, veer off his recruiting uh, footprint or how you know the kind of guys he wanted to bring in here in here right he stuck with it and I and now I think we're seeing it pay off and then I think another big component to this is uh the vision that Craig Bull had facilities wise at Wyoming of building uh of, of upgrading their facilities they just opened a 44 million dollar high altitude performance center you know football complex it's for all the student athletes but that you know Expanded weight room, uh, a training table, mm-hmm. uh, more up-to-date sports medicine facilities, more up-to-date academic space for you know counseling for student athletes. And Craig mm-hmm. Bull had a vision of that's what he wanted to do here, and knew that that was important. And through his hard work, and through a lot of other people's hard work at the university, and even the state legislature that that kicked in money for that, mm-hmm. that is that that's that's a big difference maker. And even though that just opened. This actually, they start. They got in it in the winter, and it's, they had the grand opening a, few, a couple of weeks ago. But they've been using it. That that has been a huge boost for um, not just Wyoming football, but obviously a lot of the other student athletes here at Wyoming. Right. We'll talk about the offense first. I want to get to that defense you mentioned in a little bit with that incredible number of turnovers they had last year. Uh, Tyler Vanderwall was the starter for Wyoming uh, in Las Cruces. Went 13 for 22, 137 yards through the air. Not, you know, obviously eye-popping numbers, but really Wyoming did their damage on the ground. Nico Evans had 190 yards uh, on 24 carries and a couple of touchdowns. 
is Wyoming's strength in the running game for their offense, or, or was it just kind of a matter of you're going to take what New Mexico State's going to give you, and they are not very good against the run, so we got no problem handing the ball off? Well, certainly, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I, you know, Wyoming, look, Craig Bull wants the Craig Bull formula of winning football is running the football, being physical, having really good defense, and then and, and basically just wearing you down. And mm-hmm. last week was basically Craig Bull's football philosophy 101 to a T. I mean, that's right. what they did. But look, this was a team that ran for only averaged 108 yards rushing last year. You know, granted, you know, when you had a kid like Josh Allen, that you could make up for some of that. But right. they had to they had to run the ball better. But I didn't expect 313 yards from a, from the team yeah. against New Mexico State that on paper had a pretty decent defense. You know, I'm not saying they won't be good this year either. But, you know, and plus Wyoming started three redshirt freshmen along the offensive line in that game. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, look, let's just run the ball better. And, and not put too much pressure on the redshirt freshman quarterback. Well, didn't really have a whole lot of pressure, period, because the run game just took over. And, and Nico Evans is a guy that coming, you know, this is a fifth-year senior in the past, and, and 37 previous games had 36 carries for 108 yards. I and mean, he was basically the, this team's so, wait, down back so last he, year. So he, he, like, bettered his career by, like, all the yards he'd had in his career, 80 yards more in one game. Yeah, in That's, actually three quarters. He had 190 wow. by the end of the third quarter, and then he didn't even play in the fourth. He almost had his career. He almost had his career high at halftime. You know? <laughs> so, you know, this was a kid that's really just—it's one of the more, you know, heartwarming kind of even surprising stories of this team mm-hmm. thus far. You know, a kid that you know, a good program guy. You know, uh, done some stuff in the return game. Been always very good on special teams, but now. You know, he wanted to be this team's lead back, and, and he certainly got off to a good start. So, but, but back to Vanderwall, I mean, you know, I, I thought the offensive coordinator Brent Vegan had a very good game plan going. Obviously, they wanted to run the ball and, and take some pressure off him, but they also had Vanderwall, you know, his early, he completed his first seven passes. Most of them were all pretty short ones, you know, yeah. confidence-boosting throws. He got into a rhythm. And then there were, you know, there were some ups and downs after that. He missed a couple of touchdown passes, some some deeper balls that he just overthrew, you know, probably some nerves, some jitters or, or what have you. But mm-hmm. thought it was just a very solid start, even though the numbers certainly aren't, aren't eye-popping, like you said, and, and, yeah. and I agree. You know, he didn't make any mistakes, didn't turn the ball over. You know, now we'll see how it progresses, you know, going into this week against Washington State and even down the road because there will be times – you know, the quarterback will have to do more, but I thought because the running game was so good and the defense was outstanding, you know, Vanderwall really didn't have a ton of pressure on him mm-hmm. in that game. Yeah. Pretty much I just don't screw up. That's the big message for him in that right. one. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So what so is the running game kind of the strength of this offense or is there a wide receiver that Cougar fans should be keeping an eye on? Because I know you mentioned also so a lot of redshirt freshmen on the offensive line and you know, last year for Washington State, that would have been a big advantage because of their great defensive line. Not as much this year. We lost a lot up front and still dealing with some injuries there. But where else on for that Wyoming offense should WSU fans be keeping an eye? Well, I think if, if you do look at the pass game, you know, I think Austin Conway is, is a kid, is a junior, led this team in receiving last year, very good inside receiver. Um, you know, this was a kid that came to Wyoming originally to play basketball on scholarship, mm-hmm. and, but was a very good high school football player in the Denver area who turned down, um, you know, places like, uh, you know, he could have gone to Nebraska to play football, actually. You right. know, but then the basketball bug was there, but the football bug just didn't die. And he came back and played. And this is his third year now playing football. And he's a very 
very solid wide receiver, you know, good speed, not burning speed, but good. He's also a very good punt returner. I'd say he's one to watch. Um, and although he didn't do much in the, in the first game, there's, you know, James Price is a, is, is a senior wide receiver from Washington, from Camas, Washington, who, you know, if he could just stay healthy, you know, could be a very good receiver and, and knock on wood so far he has. And again, he didn't do much in the first game, but he's a bigger, bigger guy. Well, you know, six two, just a little, little bit bigger on the outside. And, you know, he's just, I just have a feeling this is going to be one of those, one of those years for, you know, you know, where you have your, you know, want your senior year to be your best. And I think right. James has done a lot of things to put himself in position to have that. So those would probably be two guys, at least on the receiving core that I, I would watch if I was a Washington state fan. You already mentioned, uh, Robert, over three dozen turnovers for the defense last year, which is just like an absurd amount. I think it, uh, doing the quick math in my head, it's around like two and a half per game, actually closer up to three turnovers per game. Uh, it is obviously the strength of this football team. Andrew Wingard, ta- his talent just popped straight off the page, how good he is at safety. Who else do we need to be worried about on offense? Because Washington State... Although they have a lot of talent at receiver, their running backs are pretty good. They are going to be breaking in a new quarterback, whoever the heck it is. We probably Gardner Minshew, but Mike Leach has not said yet, and he'll probably put like 19 ores on the QB depth chart. But who who else does Gardner Minshew? We're just gonna say it's him. Who else does he need to worry about? Well, I, I think if you if you if you look up front, you know Wyoming's pretty deep on the defensive line, but two guys that stand out to me are. Defensive end Carl Granderson, a senior who came in here from he came out of uh, the Sacramento area, and he was 185, 190 pounds, and he was an outside linebacker and even a wide receiver. Now he's a, a 261 pound defensive end who uh, an NFL scout, a very reliable NFL, it's not a scout, an NFL front office person told me that already had a third round grade on him. Yeah, you know, last year, mm-hmm. so he, he's he's very good, but to me. You know, obviously, there's a lot of pretty good defensive players, but Johanna Gafan is a junior defensive tackle who had 69 tackles as a defensive tackle last year. I mean, there's defensive tackles in football that don't get that in a career. Yeah. You know, yeah. and even if he doesn't make a lot of tackles, he's very, he's a very athletic guy for his size. He used to play soccer. He's from Africa originally. He used to play soccer. So for a big guy, he's light on his feet for a lack of a better term but he's he's very very disruptive even if he's mm-hmm. not making tackles and when that in in Craig Bowles 4-3 defense if the defensive tackle is good that disrupts so many different things that oh and, and opens up things for guys like an Andrew Winger to make mm-hmm. plays and, and and the linebacker so those are two guys to watch and and you mentioned Winger and I don't want to downplay any of his accomplishments or his abilities but his his other mate at safety Marcus Epps is it maybe covers the, the open field as good as anyone, at least in the Mountain West. Um, mm-hmm. These guys have been playing together since they were freshmen. Um, and and Marcus Epps is, you know, one of the more underrated players, at least in the Mountain West, right. in, in my opinion. And you know, this is a kid that's a three-year captain, a former walk-on who's now a three-year captain, and that's only happened one other time in Wyoming football history, and that was in the 1890s. That that seems like a while ago. That seems like it seems like it was a seems like it was a minute or two ago. Uh, they played. Obviously, we we've been talking about their game against New Mexico State last week. They won just four games in college football. What kind of benefits do you think they got out of playing a week zero game? Because I know uh, for Washington State, Wyoming is their most difficult non conference game. They have San Jose State next week, uh, the week after, and then Eastern Washington the week after that. I would have preferred to play Wyoming second to work some kinks out. Do you think they were able to do that a little bit in this game and just work some things out before they take on Washington State this week? Well, I, 
I, I think so. And, and from certainly from Wyoming's perspective, they hope so. This certainly wasn't, you know, perfect, you know, you know, so yeah, they were, I think they were able to get some kinks out and they played 19 guys total, you know, saw their first college action for Wyoming. So, you know, you get those types of things out of the way, but then, you know, you can kind of turn that around too. Now this is going to be a, the home opener. And if, if this game isn't going to sell out, it's going to be awful close, you right. know, and you look, you know, PAC 12 and, and power five programs, you know, don't come to Laramie super often. You know, they've had a pretty decent run of luck in the past of getting, you know, Oregon was here last year. They've had Texas. Here. I, was about to say, I, remember, I remember the Texas game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, they've had them, but they also haven't beaten a power five school since 2007. So, you know, the first game, first home game, you know, a big crowd, a, a very recognized and very good opponent coming in. So, you know, maybe the, there'll be some different types of jitters, yeah. so to speak, for some of these Wyoming guys, because this, you know, so I think this this game means a lot to them. You know, it's not going to make or break their season, just like I'm sure, you know, it's the same for Washington State. But, yeah. you know, but I think, Duke, but getting a game in, working some things out and obviously, you know, knowing some things to work on, I think certainly helps the Cowboys. One thing uh, we don't have to talk about a lot when it comes to a football game is elevation. But Laramie is at, and Rob, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's about 7,200 feet, if I'm remembering right, in elevation. What kind of advantage does that give Wyoming in terms of on their home field? Because I can't imagine a lot of teams come in well prepared to deal with the, I mean, there are pretty big effects. I'm, you know, Pullman's at 2,400 feet, but you're talking about basically an extra mile into the sky playing in Laramie. Well, yeah. To, to say that it doesn't it doesn't it, it doesn't have an effect or it can't have an effect, you're, you're naive. But right. I've also seen teams come in here and beat Wyoming. You know, like last year when Fresno State came here, basically at sea level and and won. You know, again, does elevation have an effect? Yes, it does. But I also think that a lot of it is also a mental type thing. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you get down or, or you're struggling and then you know, oh, the altitude, and then it kind of sets in again. I don't want, I'm certainly not a scientist, and I will never pretend to be. You know, <laughs> it can have an effect, but I think if teams, you know, you can't simulate that type of stuff, but if you stay hydrated and you, you know, and, and you don't, if you don't let, you don't think about it too much, right. I guess is what I'm trying to mm-hmm. say. If you come in, you have a game plan, you're focused, and you act, and you, and you work on that, that's fine. But if you start worrying about things like the altitude or, or stuff like that, that's when I think it can really get you. So yeah. to say that it shouldn't be a concern, eh, maybe not. But if you if you spend too much time or think about it too much, then in a lot of ways you've already kind of defeated yourself. Right. We're early in the week here, but I want to get your thoughts on a final score prediction. We have a depth chart for Wyoming. We don't have one for WSU yet. Not that it's the gospel at all. Mike Leach just kind of puts names wherever he feels like, and he's left guys who have been out for the year on top of the depth chart before, so it pretty much means squat. Uh, but, um, but give me uh, your thoughts on the game Saturday and how you think it turns out. Well, I, I don't think this is going to be a high-scoring game. I, I agree I think, with that. You know, I, I think – I'm not saying – I think Washington State will, will score, certainly. You know, there's just too much talent, and, 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 and Coach Leach's, you know, you know, system is just too good. But I think it's going to come down to – it's probably going to come down to maybe the last possession. I, I see yeah, – I've kind of gone back for – in my preseason, our football preview section, I did pick Washington State to win this mm-hmm. game. You know, but I could see it whether it's Wyoming or Washington State. I see something like maybe like a twenty-four twenty type of score. Mm-hmm. I'd be very surprised if any team breaks thirty points in this game. Right. Um, I think I, I'm seeing twenty-four twenty somewhere in there, and I'm not trying to you know him or, or be wishy-washy, but uh, 
I'm not sure who's going to win, but I see a 24-20 type of score coming out of this game Saturday. I'm going to I'm going to hold you to that then. That's I I'm going to if you, if you are right, we'll send you a prize of some kind. <laughs> I have no idea what it'll be. Maybe some Cougar Gold cheese. Robert Gagliardi, yosports.net. You can find him on Twitter at rp gagliardi. That's spelled G A G L I A R D I. Robert, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. You bet. Thank you very much. I appreciate it too. Here on the Cougar Center Hour, we are now joined by the head coach of the Cougar volleyball team. They've been to the NCAA tournament two straight years now, uh, and I believe Coach Jen Greeny. That's uh, that's uh, the like uh, the last time that happened was early two thousands when you were on the team, if I remember right. Correct. Well, um, you're thinking I'm a lot younger than I am. Oh. I actually coached. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, yes, you're welcome. I coached with those early two thousand okay. teams um, as an assistant, and then was on the. Um, 96, 97, uh, 98 teams um, that were also pretty darn good. But yes. you're right. Yes. You're right. See, as far see, as it had been even, a while. Even when I make mistakes, they're compliments. And that's the nice <laughs> thing when you come on the show with me is that even when I make mistakes, it's good. Uh, so, like I said, I yeah, back-to-back tourney uh, appearances and with wins as well, knocked out in the second round. But how does it feel to kind of, from where you guys started so many years ago when you got hired, to be in that position where you're going to the postseason consistently and you are, are you are getting wins in the post? I mean, you're running into these really incredible teams. Like last year, I believe it was Wisconsin or the year before that, but you're just running into these really good teams in the second round, uh, like Nebraska as well, if I remember correctly, that, you know, they're very good, but you, you've got to feel good about getting advancing in the postseason now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we took over in 2011, we were taken over an 0 and 8 team um, in the Pac-10. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, at the time, um, you know, and it was the culture just wasn't, uh, of course, where we wanted it to be. And it, it's been a lot of uh, hard work. Um, but yeah, definitely really proud of where we've come um, to go to, like you said, back to back NCAA yeah. um, tournaments and get those first round wins. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You know, to run into a couple buzz saws of Wisconsin and Nebraska, that's yeah. not real fun. Um, so hopefully we can uh, not only get back to the tournament this year, but, you know, give ourselves a little bit better uh, chance just, you know, placement-wise mm-hmm. that we can um, not have to face those really tough teams so early. We'll get into kind of how tough, not you know, the Big Ten is obviously arguably one of the two best volleyball conferences in the country, along with the Pac-12. We'll get into that in a second. But how much does that experience going to the postseason two years in a row really help you guys out, maybe as a coaching staff and as a team? Because I have to imagine – you know, you know, you try not to change the mindset too much of this is just another this is just another match, but at the same time it's not because this is, you know, this is the postseason and you lose your out, it's over with, the season's over. How does that experience help you guys in the regular season? Yeah, I think it's huge. Um, 
to not only have that experience in the postseason, um, you know, I think in 2016, we were a little bit, oh, thank God, finally, you know, <laughs> we got there, um, you know, and so last year was, you know, better. A lot of the team had been to the tournament before, mm-hmm. um, you know, that experience really helped a lot. But I think just in preparation uh, with the off season during the summer, even preseason camp, you know, we only graduated two seniors. So to have most of those returners coming back with that experience mm-hmm. and postseason really on their mind, I think is a great motivating factor. You got a lot of that experience coming back. Like you said, a lot of seniors, this is kind of an upperclassman laden team, which is uh-huh. a good thing in the PAC 12, because like we just talked about how hard the big 10 is. The PAC 12 is very hard. You guys are getting votes in the preseason AVCA poll and you're still picked to finish 7th in the Pac-12 because the six teams above you are all ranked in the top 25. And I think there's been points in the last few years where up to 10 of the 12 teams in the conference have, have been ranked. This is just a week-in, week-out that kind of gets you ready for the postseason, right? Because you're facing these teams that are also going to be in the postseason and are also very good. You're absolutely right. Yeah, there is no, um, not even an easy weekend. There is no right. easy even match um, in the Pac-12. And uh, you're right, you know, uh, it's been either nine or 10 years or nine or 10 teams getting into the tournament, um, you know, probably for the last five, six years. Um, It definitely prepares you for the postseason because every single match you're playing that kind of competition that you would, you know, face in the postseason. So um, that's what we always say. Hey, you know, teams have Pac-12 teams that haven't won the Pac-12 have won the national championship. Yeah. You know, even if they're finishing third, uh, you can still go win a national championship just because of um, the competition you're facing every mm-hmm. single night. Does that make? How does that help? Like on the recruiting trail, because I know that you know, obviously, a lot of these teams, especially the teams in California, get you know they really have all that talent on the west coast is really concentrated in california a lot how does that help you on the recruiting trail can you guys kind of pitch that you know you're playing in the pac-12 against these really good teams so you have a chance to show off against maybe a team that might have slighted you in recruiting or maybe didn't look your way is it kind of something you guys can use to your advantage recruiting to pullman yeah i think so um you know being in the pac-12 you know if you're a competitor you want to play against the the best day in and day mm-hmm. out. So um, I think, you know, that's one thing that we talk about. Um, but you're exactly right. You hit on another point. You know, it's mostly once you get here, and I think all of us kooks have a little chip on our shoulder anyways. Um, mm-hmm. But you're right. You know, if if we're not getting votes in the top 25, if we're picked seventh, you know, not a lot of our players were recruited by other Pac-12 schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do kind of get that chip on your shoulder of, oh, okay, you know, we can compete with you guys and we can train harder and we can do all kinds of things to compete with, you know, these blue chip athletes that maybe yeah. we're not going to get, but we're going to um, do some other things better. Well, kind of speaking of a blue chipper, you have a big one on the team this year. You have Taylor Mims back. I, the superlatives are numerous besides her global challenge MVP that means she was the best player on the collegiate national team uh she's preseason all pack 12 she led the team in kills per set last year she's just an offensive juggernaut I've pretty much described all the great things about her what she brings to the team what haven't I said that she brings to this team that is so important oh man I mean Taylor has come incredibly far in the four years you know she came uh, from billings montana had never been on an airplane before her official visit what um was yeah i mean her story is amazing if uh, anybody ever gets a chance to sit down and talk to taylor about um just the journey that she's been on it's amazing um 
just how far she has come. You know, she was mm-hmm. also uh, played middle her first two years. We moved her to the outside last year, which is a really tough transition. She obviously handled it quite well because she was a uh, first team all back 12. Yeah, I think she did um, okay there. Yeah, she, uh, yeah, she, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, she mm-hmm. was okay. Yeah. Um, and then goes this summer and is, yeah, the MVP of the collegiate national team. So um, she really has so many intangibles. She wants to get better um, day in and day out. She's one of our team captains as well. Um, but just um, a just a joy to have on the team and um i I really can't say enough good things about her i think we're going to kind of come keep coming back to the same theme in this interview is the experience you talked about earlier you have coming back because you have mckenna woodford coming back as well up front she was your second leading attacker last year does that i mean you have now options at the net and how what does that do for you guys on offense i mean besides other teams not really knowing where you're going to go or you have the option to kind of go either direction to your outside hitters. Does that, what kind of advantages does that give you on offense? Yeah, I, I think um, it's a huge advantage. And, and we really have been, you know, in practice kind of moving some people around and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to have as much of a balanced attack as we can have. Cause we, you know, we don't want to have to just rely on our two outside hitters, which a lot of times you do have to, if, if your passing's not, you know, great that night. Um, but you're right. I mean, to have McKenna back as well. Um, and a lot of our, um, key hitters from last year, I, I think, um, there's going to be a lot of great weapons. And if somebody's not having a, a great night, I think we can look to somebody else to mm-hmm. step up. Cause that's, that's the big benefit, right? Too, is that when you have all that experience back is that you, you can kind of allow yourself somebody to not have a great night and still stay in a match. And that's especially important in the pac 12 where you guys have had, some protracted battles with these teams and you really coming down to the end, you need to kind of finish off a team, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's what we talked about in practice today. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, we have to be able to get to the end of a set and somebody step up and, and make it happen. And right. that could be, you know, any player on any given night, you know, we're not just going to look to Taylor. Um, she's going to have a lot of pressure on her and, and teams are definitely going to be keying on mm-hmm. her. Um, so that's why we really need to um, get some other people to step up as well. You get your libero Alexis Dorigi back as well. I know we've talked about this before, how the libero is kind of the quarterback of the offense. But I know for a lot of folks, you know, the libero wears the different colored uniforms. So what does a libero do besides digs, which is very, very important, <laughs> keeping the ball in play? What what makes a libero so special and what kind of player make, you know makes a good libero? Yeah, so... What's crazy about the libero is they are on the court pretty much the entire time, all right. but one rotation. Um, so they have to serve, they have to take control um, of passing, they have to lead the defense. Um, a lot of communication goes into that, um, you know, role as well. Um, so I think for her to have that experience internationally, she also went to Pula, Croatia on the collegiate national team mm-hmm. and got to play with some different players and play internationally. So I think um, that experience also helped her a ton. Um, but yeah, you know, she's coming back. She um, had a great year last year. She's still only going to be a junior. So I'm um, just looking for great things and even more uh, from Alexis this year. And again, I, I, we keep coming back to this because this is kind of the big thing for this team this year is the experience. You get your middle blockers, Urias and Lajos, back as well. How Those those are kind of, when you go up to block a kill or an attempt at the net and that can fall down on the other team's side, th- are those kind of what you would consider like free points? Because you need someone to get those big arms up and how important is it for you guys to have someone 
who can kind of go get you those unexpected points. Yeah, I mean, our blocking, you know, you can kind of uh, talk about blocking as your first line of defense. And, um, you know, the last uh, few years, we have been pretty stellar at that skill. Um, You know, third in the nation last year in the blocks per set. Um, Over the last, I think, four years, we're leading the nation in total blocks, actually. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, to have those uh metal blockers that are mobile that read well um you know if we can just block the ball then i think that's great you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even have to yeah if taylor if taylor and mckenna don't have to do, yeah if they don't have to do any work that's a good night they can just sit down right. maybe have some gatorade it's just you know hey oh totally. I, I came and uh, i didn't have to do anything that's great yeah yeah that, those are good nights yeah um, uh but really for them too and they're both coming um you know, getting a lot better offensively. And so, like I talked about that balanced attack, if we mm-hmm. can, um, you know, not only get them to block well, but we can get them the ball offensively, um, that'll make for a successful night as well. So we've, we've kind of mentioned all these upperclassmen. We've been talking about a lot of upperclassmen. Is there anyone on your roster that fans should keep an eye on? Because we're going to, you know, obviously a lot of matches broadcast on the Pac-12 networks this year, which is a very good thing. So who should we also be keeping an eye on that maybe I haven't mentioned or we haven't talked about? Um, yeah, I think, um, Ashley Brown, um, you know, our setter coming back, she had transferred from Oklahoma last year. Um, you know, we, we ran kind of a six, two offense until, um, we had three starters actually go down with injuries at the end of the season and Mm -hmm. had to switch to a five, one, um, you know, and, and Ashley also did some training with collegiate national team in Detroit this summer. Um, so, you know, she's really progressing as well as a setter. Um, you know, doing some great things, running that offense, trying to really connect with her headers. And she is um, maybe one of the biggest competitors that I have ever coached. She does not like to lose. So that yeah. in itself um, is just a great attribute that she has. This is your eighth season in Bowler Gym, if I'm correct. Is this the best team you've had since you were hired at Washington State, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, that team in 2016 that had Kyra Holt and, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, that they were all seniors that year. That's uh, That was the best season we had had in 14 years um, with that team. But as far as kind of the experience um, coming back uh, and just the um, the amount of players that can move and play in different positions and, you know, do all kinds of great things, you know, not – only offensively but defensively as well that mm-hmm. yeah I'm gonna say probably from top to bottom this would be the best team that we've had and we said I just mentioned you know this is your eighth season uh, in Pullman obviously this is also your alma mater and is is there something that you know Jen Greeny now wishes she could tell Jen Greeny eight years ago about you know kind of the hardships that we're all going to go through because I know the the academic scores for the team have improved I mean not just on the court off the court they're doing much better is there something that you wish you could tell your past self now about these eight years that you know would maybe give you better perspective or is just anything you wish you could say to yourself eight years ago um you know I I think when we took over we knew it was going to be kind of a, a major uphill battle um mm-hmm. you know and there were definitely definitely times that I was like what am I doing um but you know <laughs> to to stick through that and I think because it is my alma mater that mm-hmm. you know uh that's what makes it so much better and so much sweeter so I'm not so sure that I would go back and say anything just besides right. like it will get better because <laughs> it really couldn't have got any worse <laughs> no. um, but yeah just um 
yeah, love this team, love uh, the progress that we've made. And, and you're right. Uh, when we took over in 2011, the team had a 1.96 GPA. I don't know how that happens, um, wow. but it happened. And we've only now had two semesters the whole time that we've been here that we've been barely under a 3.0. Yeah. So, um, yeah, big, big strides um, in the classroom. Casey Shaneline was the Pac-12 Scholar Athlete of the Year for volleyball last mm-hmm. year. Um, so I think, you know, just those those people that really bought in maybe didn't get the chance um, to go to the NCAA tournament but really built the foundation, they're pretty important in this process as well. Now you said we when we took over, and that's because your <laughs> husband is your associate head coach. What's it like coaching with Burdett? But I know you guys have been doing this for a very long time, so it, you know you, you've got to now kind of have a feel for each other in terms of you know, your coaching styles and how, you know, you comport yourselves on court with the players. But what is it like coaching with your husband? Because you it hasn't just been at WSU that you've done this, right? Right, yeah, 12 blissful years coaching together. Oh, look that? at that, look at that, so nice. She's she's being so nice. <laughs> she knows she's being recorded. She's being so nice. Um, it's actually great. I mean, I grew mm. up in a, um, my dad was a coach, and um, it just seemed like, you know, everything was always about what was going on with the team and whether he was coaching my team or uh, my brother's teams or, or whatever that is. So I'm just kind of used to that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, it's, it's definitely not always easy, um, but you sure get a lot more communication done because you're pretty much um, communicating with each other a lot. I, our kids are very used to it. Um, you know, they even get into recruiting conversations and scouting conversations and all that kind of stuff. Um and if we get tired of each other, then one of us just goes recruiting. So it, oh, that's it works. no, that's that's excellent. No, see, that works out very well. That you can just get this. Like, <laughs> why don't you just go out on the recruiting trail? I'm a little sick of you. So why don't you just go out and find me? So that's good. I like that either one of you can do that. Uh, we'll yeah. leave, we'll leave Coach Jen Greeny with this um, consecutive postseason appearances, as we mentioned. First time it's happened uh, for you know since the beginning part of this century, really. Is that the new expectation for this team that, that, you know, it's it's not just that we're improving every year, that's fine, but is the new expectation that we better be playing games after the end of the regular season? I think for this year, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like you said, to have so many people coming back, you know, we will graduate, you know, six players next year. So we'll have to right. reevaluate um, that kind of goal next year. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's... Um, there is a new expectation and um i i think just everybody on the team you know thinks that way and um that's what we we are preparing for they start the season on the road against vcu north carolina state this coming weekend and then labor day weekend they spend it in cedar falls before their home same weekend as the football over against san jose state mcneese state friday afternoon illinois state friday night and stony brook a full eight hours before you need to go to Martin Stadium. So I encourage everybody to check it out. Coach Jen Greeny, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
Thunderhead of the week time. And um, I don't know about you guys. I am a big fan of wine. I think it tastes good. I like the alcohol in it. Um, and I grew up in Woodenville, and my wife and I went out to uh, Woodenville on Sunday to partake in some wine tasting. We got, uh, like, you know, they, they sell, like, these little passport things. So you get free tastings all some of the wineries out there. Uh, we got those for Christmas. And uh, we were out there. <clears throat> and as you know, you know where Woodenville is. It's, it's probably about 30 minutes away from downtown Seattle without traffic. It's generally about how long it takes me to get there from West Seattle. But uh, somehow one of those lime bikes, you know, those bikes that you can, like, rent off the street in Seattle, got all the way out to Woodenville. I don't know who the hell rode it all the way out there, but that's commitment. And as my wife and I were walking uh, from one winery to another, we had to cross the street. Which, uh, again, they're big roundabout because the streets are busy and the cars are moving quickly. Uh, but a young lady who perhaps had had too many wine tastings decided it would be really funny to uh, get on this lime bike and ride it in front of all of her friends. They were clearly out there for like a birthday party or something. And as we cross the street, this young lady comes screaming across the road in the bike, nearly gets hit by a car who did not see her coming, screams and then careens into a, like, rock retaining wall and just eats it straight off the bike. Now, I'm only telling you this story because she hopped right back up and was fine. And ca- I'm fine. I'm fine. But just of all the shenanigans I think I've seen that you do- And keep in mind, you had to pay a dollar to do that at least. <laughs> it, it costs at least a dollar to unlock those bikes. You had to pay a dollar to drunkenly pedal one across the street, hit a retaining wall, and fall off. It was perfect. Just perfection. It, it really just brought so much happiness to my Sunday. That just to see that, and I'm glad she wasn't hurt. So that that is the main. T- she was, I would not be telling this story if she got hurt. She was clearly not hurt because when you're drunk, you're not gonna tighten up when you fall down like that. But now yeah, it was just really funny. It was really, it was genuinely funny. And I'm doing a great job describing it as usual. Ask Michael anything time. Ask Michael anything. At K Dudley, Kevin Dudley. Tips for tailgating from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Water, and for God's sake, make sure you eat. Eat. Eat, 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 eat. Because if you don't, you're just drinking on an empty stomach. At Coog's Zoo Crew, most exciting game you've been to. Boise State and USC this last year up there, and because I was in school when the team was horrible, the 2006 game against USC was pretty good too, but... I was in school when the team was horrible and then wasn't able to get back a lot in the intervening years for a number of reasons. So really, I haven't had like a more exciting home game than that one. So really pretty much those ones. At WCCURO8, Rick, Don Julio or Patron? Don Julio with a bullet. Bubba Crowley, best smoked meat. And what's the best meat to put on street tacos? Pork, steak, chicken, or beef? You can't go wrong with pork, steak. I like those. I don't want chicken on my street tacos. Best smoked meat? Pork shoulder. I go with pork shoulder or pork butt. Really delicious. At DRG Jeff, Jeff Duncan, how do we avoid another game one disaster? You win. 
But this also isn't an FCS team. This is a team that's in the Mountain West Conference, so it's, you know, at least it wouldn't be the same thing as losing to an FCS team that you played two weeks after that. At JLeap19, Jeff Leeper, or Leper, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Any tips for a new WSU graduate trying to cope with not being in Pullman? Listening to this podcast is a good way. That's good. Uh, keeping bush light just in your fridge at all times is also good. And uh, I think those are two good, really good first steps. And then also just planting a wheat field in your backyard so you get the smell, like when it's being harvested, you know, and then you like hire someone to harvest it. I don't know if that's very doable, but that's what I would do. At CQG8606, Sean, which which edition of Super Smash Bros. is best, N64 or GameCube N64? Come fight me if you want. What are your thoughts on the renaming of Campus Commons to the Ruckus? Appropriate naming. That from Coog Buddy. John, is that true? Are they renaming it the Ruckus? That can't be true. If they are, it's perfect. That is absolutely perfect if that's what they're renaming it. That can't be true. I really hope it is, though. At Driving in Seattle, Keith P. I live in Seattle, but I want to come to Pullman for one game this year. Which one should I go to that I could get a ticket for? Should be still some tickets for homecoming. I'd go to that one against Utah end of September. Nice big crowd because it is homecoming, so there'd be a ton of people there. Uh, and the weather should still be okay. I would say that. Or the Oregon game, but again, that's middle of October. The weather might be a little iffy. At Big Red WSU, Shustin Williams. Williams. As a Kook fan, I am crazy. Am I crazy to be content with six win seasons as long as a couple of nine win seasons are periodically sprinkled in? I think the bare minimum expectation should be to get to a bowl game for Wazoo. I don't think there's anything wrong with expecting just a bowl game, that being the expectation. Um, I don't think I'd be content with a bunch of six win seasons. I would want more than that. Uh, more than just one wine, one nine win. I almost said wine win season. That would be good too, though. One nine win season sprinkled in. But I don't. If the expectation is just six wins, like that's the minimum, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I've kind of said that for a while. A win, 2242A-win. Go to concession item in Martin Stadium. Our uh, tickets, we have are right in front of the Cougar Gold Mac and Cheese stand and the sausage stand. I like that. But I, all sporting events, I get nachos with the, with the gross nacho cheese out of the pump thing. Oh, yeah. And then a regular old hot dog that I... I I treat my body so badly during football season. It's just gross. Wyoming 34, Washington State 28. They'll pick one up the next week against San Jose State. We'll talk to you next week on the Kook Center Hour.